So we left off the last episode with this new sect then, the Nazarenes, who are continuing the Jesus thing, especially now following the death, resurrection, and ascension. And they're going out now and proclaiming this message. So um, I think what, what people then are maybe starting to see when we've described the landscape of Judaism of the time and how they fit in and bring these strands sort of together I think people are probably starting to see a lot of the assumptions we have and cultural assumptions that we have historical assumptions dissolving yeah. kind of like, like falling apart. Like, like you always hear, Oh, you know, these were just like poor yeah, fishermen, uneducated, poor fishermen who started following Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And it's like uneducated. I mean, you got Nicodemus, Joseph Arimathea. These but, are, but there, there has yeah. to be a reason why Jesus is calling these specific men. Mm -hmm. And it's because they are pulling together these strands of Judaism into one. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Peter, for instance, right. He's running a fishing, well, a fishing business in the first century is big business. That he apparently owns, yeah. <laughs> it's big business. We actually, you can see Peter's house in Capernaum today. Uh, it's, you know, discovered archaeologically. It's big. Yeah. Um, but not only that, even if you were to discount the archaeological and just go with the scriptural, I mean, when people all gather into his house that day, it says a huge crowd gathered mm -hmm. in Peter's house mm -hmm. for the healing of the paralytic, right? Yeah. So this is big business. They're leaving. They Same know. thing with James and John, the Zebedee brothers, uh, the Sons of Thunder. They... They had a family business going as yeah. well, yeah. Um, so it's not like they were poor, dirt poor or anything, right? So they're not—they're not leaving uh, nothing. No, right? yeah, no, they—they're—they're they're becoming poor actually for Christ. Exactly, that's—that's that's the big point. They're leaving a lot behind, you <laughs> yeah. know. So, um, so I think that that kind of melts away. But then you also have this sort of—we've talked about this in a previous episode, but you have this uh, 16th century kind of Protestant idealized view of the primitive mm -hmm. church <laughs> and, yeah. and that's kind of melting away right where yep. it's like oh they just gather together and you know it's just a, it's a meeting and they have a table for a meal and yeah and it was everything is very very simple and those yeah. types of um points are are there but you know it doesn't fit it doesn't into fit. this yeah it doesn't fit the picture uh but you also have like the 16th century and i would even say even to, to the modern day in like children's books you know this view of the catholic view where they're painting the apostles as sort of like yeah. roman catholics yeah. you know? saint peter's <laughs> wearing a mitre and and, and and again that's symbolic but still right. it gets in in people's mind that that's how they actually were exactly it does because i remember even as a kid like thinking like okay so saint peter like looked like that war mm -hmm. mitre and walked around you know but um but you can see it. it's it, it's it's more of a caricature right mm -hmm. so that's starting to melt away um but then you sort of also have this kind of popular imagination of what the apostles and what jesus looked like in the modern world there's you're yeah. starting to see you know people saying well this is what it was like in early judaism so this is what the early Christians must have been like. Yeah, well. yeah, because, oh, they were Jews. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, then let's go look at what Jews are up to, yeah. and then that'll give us a picture of what the, the early Christians were like. Mm -hmm. And so you get, like, evangelicals holding Seder meals. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Passover meals. And and But but the truth is we don't actually know what the Passover meal was like. Right. What, what really happened at the Lord's Supper we don't really know in the first century. That's right, because, because post-Christian, and actually post-Temple, because the Temple, people have to understand, is destroyed in 70 AD. Mm -hmm. And after that, I mean, that... That is a defining moment for Jude the trajectory of Judaism from that point forward. You start to see previous types of Judaism start to die out and fall yep. off. And you have this kind of consolidation under the rabbis. Yep. And that's why we call it rabbinical. Rabbinical Judaism mm -hmm. is really emerging. And you, well, you can say that. And, and in fact, rabbinical Judaism postdates the rise of Christianity. Exactly. Christianity is actually the older 
religion, quote unquote, yeah. uh, compared to rabbinic Judaism. Yeah, you can sort of trace rabbinical Judaism back to this Pharisaical uh, Judaism of the first century, I guess you can say the synagogues, but but it's still different, right? Because um, they get rid of these things about like resurrection and things like that. So you have um, a later form of Judaism being read back on it. You see it in movies. It's super awkward. You know, they're all acting like this monolithic Jewish. We're all Jewish, but no, it, that's not the case. So I think. Um, we need to really then dive into sort of who then are these Nazarenes? Who are these apostles? You know, how do we get a picture yeah, of them? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's important. A good way to go about it is to, is to say, well, how did they worship? Mm. Because when we, when we speak about worship, worship isn't just, you know, devotional acts or, or rituals that we do. Worship kind of encapsulates our whole spiritual life, everything that we do. Origen in the third century said that the man who prays without ceasing is the one who prays with right actions mm. and becoming actions. So it's the whole of our life that is actually defines worship. Yeah. And so if that's the case, if if worship gets at what we do every day, our whole life, our whole devotional life, well, I think it's helpful to understand the apostles through a certain prism. Yeah. And we find that prism actually in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. Mm-hmm. It says that the apostles and the, and the first believers in the Lord were continually, daily, listening to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. They were breaking the bread, and they were observing the prayers. So you have three things there that, are, that define worship, that define the life of the early church. Quick note, the prayers. Okay. The prayers, yeah. <laughs> right. So let's start then, maybe this episode, with... The prayers. What, the prayers. What, what did what did their prayer life look like then? Right? Yeah. Well, the first point is is what you kind of intimated there is that in the text it does refer to with the definite article the prayers. It's speaking of something very specific. Mm. So what do they mean by the prayers? Well, it's likely they had set prayers. I mean, we know that the early Christians were praying the Psalms. Uh, St. Paul says that they should be praying the Psalms, and then we speak Psalms to each other, he says. Or Jesus um, prayed the Psalms too, right? Jesus prayed the Psalms <laughs> as well. Um, but you also have we can see from the book of Acts, formal set times of prayer. Mm. So some of that informality, those assumptions about the early church, right? They were simple. They were informal. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of extempore prayer most of the time, just off the top of their head. Yes, but there was also this formality to it as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, you brought up the Psalms. Mm-hmm. I think we have, to, we, we have to put a little bit more time to that, you know, because the Psalms characterized... Jesus's prayer life so much that it would be it would be bizarre if the apostles didn't continue that. Well, right? and the Psalms are the are the most quoted book of the Old Testament in the New Testament. Yeah, in the Gospels and through the uh, the letters of Paul. There's so many times. Actually, it is the most quoted. Yeah, and 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 Jesus. There's so many times Jesus is finding himself in the Psalms. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it's it's he he reads Psalm 22. He sees himself up there on that cross. You know, um, and in fact, while he's going to the cross, right? Um, yeah. So. If you look at if you look at the timing of the crucifixion scene, mm. it says that Jesus was condemned at the third hour. He was led up and crucified at the sixth hour, yeah. and then he was pierced and then dies at the ninth hour. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen just willy nilly in God's plan. Those hours were chosen for a reason, and the gospel writers chose those hours for a reason. Why did they choose those hours? Well, we're told in the Book of Acts that those were the traditional prayer hours that the apostles mm-hmm. observed the third, the sixth, and the ninth hours mm-hmm. as the hours of prayer. So that's really interesting. That's really interesting because that means that while the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are neglecting their duty, mm-hmm. they should be praying at this time <laughs> or offering the evening sacrifice. Right? Like they, are, they are neglecting that to crucify him 
but Jesus is the high priest. And so Jesus is continuing the prayer hours yeah. on that cross. Like he starts off, you know, with my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm-hmm. You know, you can actually pinpoint Psalm 20, in the, Psalm 22. You can pinpoint in the Psalms where Jesus starts. And then you can actually pinpoint where he ends when he says, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Yeah. Um, so, and it's actually a series of like... Yeah, it's great. It's great devotionally too. When, you're, when you yourself are praying the Psalms or you're reading the Psalms, you always think, well, what was Jesus thinking about on the cross? Uh-huh. You know, where was his head at? We know his yeah. head was in the Psalms. That's right. You know, yeah. and so it brings this this new life to your your devotion. Yeah. During the time of the evening sacrifice in the temple, he himself is offering not only the prayers that the priest should be offering, he's offering himself as that very sacrifice. Yep. And uh, and I, I find that I find that just I don't know striking. So the, the apostles continue that life of pray praying the Psalms, but it's more than that, right? Because they're Jews, right? So Jewish prayer at those times of prayer, right? Jews were required uh, from time immemorial to pray or to pray the Shema, mm-hmm. uh, this prayer. And which we know they were doing in the first century. Yes, well. yes. Mm-hmm. Morning and evening at least, sometimes three times a day, praying the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Mm-hmm. That is that is the, the seed, that is the kernel of all of Jewish prayer in the first century. Um, and, and really what happens is that you start to see them saying it at these at these set times, but you start to see more prayers creep in around it. And you start to see this this architecture of prayer starting yeah. to form, right? Benedictions as well. So that would be like, you know, blessed, oh, blessed are, are you, O oh Lord, who, you know. Um... Yeah, and you can kind of see in that the, the beginnings of the, of the Christian collect. Mm-hmm. So when we go to Mass, the, the, the opening prayer of the day is called a, a collect. It brings together all the people's thoughts for the day, right? Yeah. And the collect has four parts to it. Uh, the direct address, so O oh Lord God or Heavenly Father, something like that. And then it goes into a description, so O oh Lord God, who created the heavens and the earth. Mm-hmm. And then the third part is your petition, what you're, what you're asking for, what the focus of the day is, mm-hmm. and then into the doxology, right? Mm-hmm. Through the Holy Spirit, uh, in the name of Jesus, those types of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and um, actually, they are Father. Yeah. I mean, right? So, so when the, the apostles actually ask Jesus, teach us to pray, Jesus gives them this kind of an architecture of prayer. He blesses the Lord God. He blesses his name. Um, he describes him. Yeah, and, and, the, the, and the, the two Lord's prayers that we have, the two versions of it, one in Luke, one in Matthew, Luke's version is probably the, the earliest version. It's, mm-hmm. it's a little simpler. Um, the Matthean version, though, you can tell that the, the early Christians were using that liturgically. They were praying yeah. that when they got together for worship mm-hmm. because it ends with a doxology. A doxology. Yeah, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. That's very important because what we found in like the Dead Sea Scrolls in the, in the Essene texts is that they always ended their prayers with these kinds of doxologies. They would say from everlasting to everlasting, um, which in the Orthodox Church today, you always hear unto ages of ages. For us as Catholics, we hear forever and ever. Amen. I mean, it, we so that has continued straight yeah. through the history of the church, but it starts here in this Jewish architecture of prayer. So again, were the apostles, you know, did they pray extempore or out of the moment like Protestants tend to think? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort of. Yeah. Did they pray like these set prayers, like written in a book as like Catholics would assume? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, so, sometimes, yeah. but more so you have just like the, these set sort of patterns mm-hmm. of prayer that then you, you fill in and you color, right? So that's what we see. But but um, what's really interesting then is that the Christians, so they're praying this Shema, right? They're they're praying the Psalms. They're they're putting in the Our Father. In fact, in the, in the early first century document, the Didache, right here in front of me, it actually commands this. So the Didache, a document that um, we all know should have probably been in the canon. <laughs> <laughs> um, sort of kidding. Uh, so it says here, 
nor should you pray like the hypocrites, but instead pray like this, just as the Lord commanded in his gospel, our father who art in heaven. And then once, once it goes through the doxology for yours is the power and the glory forever. Then he ends it. This, the, the writer of the dedicate, he says, pray like this three times a day. Yeah. So there, there again is the pattern three times a day, the probably the third, sixth and ninth hour of yeah. the day is the, is the prayer hours. So this is a very organized way of praying. I yeah. mean, you know, we're saying, and, and, and well, why, why, why you're saying that maybe it should have been in the canon is because this document, the Didache actually can be dated to the time when the gospels are being written still. Yeah. You can date the Didache from any, anywhere from 50 uh, AD to 90 AD. Yeah. And that's right in the heart of when most of the New Testament's being written. Yeah. Yeah. So the Lord's prayer is huge. Uh, it's, it's huge for the Christians. You even see Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, you know, he says to them, uh, pray that you may not fall into temptation. And if you look at the Greek, it's very similar to Lord and lead us not into temptation. So it's, it's very possible that Jesus again is reminding them, pray the way that I was telling you how to pray. Remember? And they, of course they fall asleep and start snoozing. But, <laughs> yeah. but, um, so the next thing though, about that Shema, Let's talk about that Shema, right? Like, because because did do you think they were just saying like you know oh you know the uh, hero Israel the Lord your God the Lord is one, so there is so in First Corinthians chapter eight right yeah, uh, Saint Paul it, you can tell that Saint Paul is taking the Shema mm-hmm. and working in Christ Jesus yeah because it mentions the Lord twice mm-hmm. it says hero Israel the Lord your God the Lord is one. Mm-hmm. And, th- and that was very significant for St. Paul. And I actually have it here in front of me. Okay, this is what he says. He yeah. says, but to us, there is but one God. And that's funny that he says, but to us. Mm-hmm. Right? So he's like, but to us, there's but one God, the Father from whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. That is so significant. This is the Christian Shema. That's right? the or Christian the, the, Or the Shema of the way. Yeah, exactly. So that's the Nazarene version of the Shema. Mm-hmm. They see it as significant, these two mentions of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So, okay, that's a good that's a good architecture of prayer, but it also mentions what they're doing, right? They're going up to the temple still. That's very interesting. Yeah, they're still recognizing the temple cult. Now, you know, they're going there presumably when the sacrifices are happening, when mm-hmm. the hours of prayer. It's In fact, it does say Peter went up to the temple at the hour of prayer. So they're they're still participating in the temple. Um, like the Sadducees would, or yeah. like the Pharisees would, but they're also a little bit aloof, right? Like the Essenes, because they're ho- holding the breaking of the bread, which we'll get into, mm-hmm. in their own homes, That's right? right? Separate as their own separate little community. Yeah. Um, now, when they go to the temple, they're also they're not literally in the place of sacrifice, obviously. Yeah. They 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 surround themselves in Solomon's portico or the, the colonnade around the temple, and that's where they're preaching Christ. That's mm-hmm. where they're preaching Jesus. So they're observing the temple hours, but they're also preaching Christ. And they're allowed to do this. That's what's really interesting is that is that the, the apostles are going to Solomon's portico and preaching, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees are listening. They're, they're, they're standing, you know, by listening to their preaching and, you know, because they see them still as the Nazarene sect. Like yeah, the, the it's Jews. a very public place, mm-hmm. Solomon's portico. Everybody's there. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So they're allowed to do this, but there's a turning point. There's really two turning points. It's, it's they, they start to see that, well, wait a minute. First of all, why are you preaching this Jesus? You know, so so Peter, Peter actually gets reprimanded. They give him some. They give they actually beat him. <laughs> they get him out. And they say you're not allowed to preach this anymore. Um, but then he gets up and he goes back and starts preaching again the next day. So he's preaching Jesus. But then there's this moment with Stephen, and it's very a scene because Stephen starts talking about how like this this temple like God doesn't dwell in this house, mm-hmm. and that that's the, that's the line. That's like <laughs> well wait a minute like what's going on here with these Nazarenes? They're yeah. going they're go they, they sound like a scenes to me now. Yep. You know, and so then. Um, 
then they really they, they put Stephen on trial, right? And and so so then Stephen is taken out. He's martyred. That is a turning point for these two communities now uh, you're starting to see a very sharp distinction not not sharp but you know what i mean you're starting to see a more of a sharp distinction yeah from that point on the church is becoming a little more persecuted mm-hmm. by jewish authorities and, they, and jewish authorities jewish authorities mm-hmm. are becoming a little more suspect of yeah. this of the way and and they're not wrong in this they're not they're not wrong in in, in sort of uh, detecting the Essene uh, flavor <laughs> because they are like Essenes uh in in how they pray yeah they they face east. They don't face towards the temple. That's yeah. interesting, right? Yeah, very interesting. And what, what kind of tips us off to that? There's nowhere in the New Testament that says, oh, they're facing east. Mm-hmm. What tips us off to that is is a very early um, saying. Aramaic saying that we find in the New Testament, and then we find in also other first century, second century documents. Maranatha. Yeah. Come, Lord Jesus. Yeah. These are people oriented towards the Lord's coming. They're mm-hmm. eschatological like the Essenes. They're oriented toward the East, mm-hmm. the coming of the Lord from the East. Yes. Um, so that kind of tips us off to it. And then what confirms it is is church practice. Mm-hmm. We have second century fathers talking about clearly praying, that, praying yeah, towards the East. That clearly that that's their tradition. Okay, now that we've drawn all that out then, we've drawn all this, there's so much stuff going on right now. Let, let's, let's really go on a tour together. Let's mm-hmm. take an imaginative tour. We walk into a first century Christian worship of christian gathering okay mm-hmm. what are we seeing so we're gonna we're gonna hear that maybe that christianized version of the shema yep we're gonna hear blessed art thou lord for this that and the other thing for sending your only begotten son uh so now that you've done that do this in our time now for yours is the glory forever right we're gonna hear prayers you're like you're gonna that. hear the lord's prayer you're gonna you're gonna have readings mm-hmm. but we know we know actually from the new testament that the synagogues had readings yeah right? you're gonna see all of them facing east um, but then you're going to hear songs. Um, you're going to hear hymns. Uh, the earliest Christian hymns are also recorded in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. I think um, the most popular ones that we think of are uh, from Philippians 2. Paul's quoting kenosis, right? The, the emptying of Christ, mm-hmm. um, taking on the form of a slave. That's, a, that's in poetic form. That's a, probably an early Christian mm-hmm. hymn. Even the Magnificat. Uh, the Magnificat, all the canticles in the New Testament are mm-hmm. liturgical hymns. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of Arise, O Sleeper. And Christ mm-hmm. will <laughs> arise in us, shine. Yep, yep. shine in you. Um, so there's there's these hymns that are being written by the early Christians as well. Yeah. So you can imagine them, you know, praying the psalms, uh, singing the hymns, doing the readings. All of those things are are all there, mm-hmm. facing east. Right. Mm-hmm. You have the council of the uh, the apostles, the presbyters mm-hmm. sitting there um, doing the teachings, like you said. Um, I think you're starting to get a picture now of what we're looking at. But is that the whole picture? Is that it? Right. right. No. You know, there's there's a sacrifice too, right? Yeah, absolutely. So in the next episode, we're going to talk about this this whole breaking of the bread mm-hmm. and really dig into maybe what that looked like in the first century.